and welcome back to Scottish Educators Connect podcast. You're here with me, Anita. And me, James. James. Hiya. Hi, Anita. How are you tonight? I'm all right, actually. I'm better than I was last week, actually. I feel like I'm feeling lighter and brighter this week. Had quite a heavy day um, in school today, a lot going on, um, but it, it felt like a really worthwhile day. I felt valued today, um, which I need. I need people to tell me that I'm needed, and I had that Good. today. How are you? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm recovering at the moment. I'm not feeling too great, so um, no. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, using my listening ears and less of my voice tonight. For once. For once. <laughs> um, so we are back again with another episode focused on the national discussion. And um, I don't know about you, but things are heating up in the staff room in my school, and this is this come this theme comes up a lot, talking about what changes could, should, will happen. And um, so definitely mm-hmm. piquing teachers' interest across the country. Um, we are joined tonight by a primary school teacher and um, a Scottish Educators Connect book club OG, I think. Certainly somebody who came to lots of the book clubs and somebody that James and I have gotten to know very well through the Twitter sphere. Hi, Hazel. Good evening. It's lovely to be with you both. Thank you for joining us. We said to you in the pre-chat before, but I think it's important for our listeners to know that when James and I were putting together a list of people that we might ask to interview for the podcast, we were really keen to hear from a practicing teacher um, and somebody who we knew were uh, were an unfearty, somebody who we knew was able to, to share their thoughts and point of view and to do it strongly. And you were at the top of the list. So thank you for joining us. Uh, no problem. As as most people have worked out, I um, it's getting me to stop talking. Talking that tends to be the problem, not to get to start talking. <laughs> you and I have that in common. I get to start with the easiest question tonight, Hazel. And for our listeners, can you just tell them who you are, what do you do, and what are your interests? Yeah, you, do you know you say that's the easiest one? But I was like, oh well, that's fine. I'm a class teacher. Da, 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 da. And yes, I am. I'm a primary class teacher currently teaching primary three in in the beautiful Isles of Orkney. Um, and I teach on the mainland in Kirkwall, in the largest primary in Orkney. Um, but then I was like, oh yeah, there's this other stuff I do as well because people are like, well, that's not all you are. Um, I suppose. Mostly through Twitter. I'm not quite sure why. Well, I think most people follow me on Twitter mainly for either food or pictures of Orkney. I, I think the amount of interest in what I say about education is fairly low down there on the list. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm surprisingly suddenly discovering I'm seen as someone that like people should talk to or has a voice. And um, that always shocks me a bit that people are interested in what I have to say. But yeah, I think I see my my role is being a bit of an amplifier and a connector of people um, more than necessarily always what I've got to add to things, but about making sure that other voices are heard and everyone's voices are heard. Um, One of the ways is definitely through, we've been trying to build up and develop a bit more of the uh, Go Edu hashtag. Um, And Paul Hamilton's been great at working with that to just kind of get a bit more chat going, get some people connected up feeling a bit more of that Scottish 
social media community um, that EduTwitter doesn't always offer because it does have quite an English focus. So that's probably a big yeah. part of who I am. It's a wee bit of a push on that. Of It'd be great if, if people gave us a, a look out and joined in with that. Apart from that, interest, I think very up there and wouldn't surprise anyone that's come across me, books and how we can use literature <laughs> and books of all types um, in the classroom to to support, encourage and teach and, and expand the worldview of our of our children and young people. Lovely, Hazel. And you said that it always surprises you that people think you have important things to say and people want to listen to you. It sounds like you've got a touch of the imposties, which James and I suffer from a little bit as well, the imposter syndrome, because I definitely think that you've got interesting things to say and you definitely have a wide following on Twitter. So I'm glad you've joined us tonight. Well, thank you for that. Hazel, I was just having a little look just now, and um, I, for a little bit of trivia for our listeners, I think, and I think I'm right in saying, you are our most northern uh, podcast guest so far of all of our podcasts over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. so that's exciting as well. Oh, that yeah. is. I was going to say, we'll have to we'll find you some Shetlanders to speak to. Yeah, we will definitely find some Shetlanders at some point, which will be which will be grand. Gosh, and, we could go further north in Shetland. We could speak to somebody in the Arctic. Mm. Are there schools in the Arctic? I wonder. Oh, there's there's something for one of our classes to work out tomorrow for us there. Eh? <laughs> um, and uh, echoing what Anita said there, I love everything you share, particularly with my common love for children's books, Hazel. And uh, Hazel is a great one to share with. Uh, I'm always envious of your class library and all the amazing books that are being shared there so uh please keep keep using your own voice as well as amplifying others that's a that's a that's an ask from me tonight um i've got the next question which is a little bit harder than anita's and it's the first question that is in the consultation for the national discussion and it's thinking around about the kind of education that will be needed by children and young people in Scotland in the future. And um, for you, what kind of education do you think it needs to be? Yes, nice nice and simple, isn't it? Um, if we, if we all had the answer to this one, we'd either have the wonderful book deal or um, we'd be in charge of education in Scotland. So, yeah, um, I think for me, and I think I'm, I'm definitely going to have echoes of what's come across in the previous podcasts, um, and I think this bit you've spoken to to folk in very different parts of our sector already, but there is those strong themes already emerging. Um, and I think it is about comes back to this word. I think it keeps coming up in every episode about balance, that balance mm-hmm. between skills and knowledge. Um, and I think I'm probably with Anita on this, but of being maybe slightly more surprisingly, and this might surprise some people that know me through Twitter. Surprisingly, on that bit of thinking, we need a potential a bit more knowledge, a bit more direction on what knowledge is needed in the curriculum. Um, though I, I, um, I do think as well there is that bit about making sure that we've got that the skills. That actually, whatever scenario children find them, young people find themselves in the future, that if they've got the skills, then they can apply that to any context. I think that's very valuable. Um, that they they know what to do 
in a particular situation they've got the skills to be able to apply to it um I did history at university so I'm very much for that those all those transferable skills but along with that I think I sometimes look at us compared to speaking to colleagues in England and Wales and I do I do worry slightly that sometimes the depth of knowledge isn't necessarily there. I suppose a question could be argued, does it need to be there? Do they need to have an in-depth knowledge of the Stone Age or ancient Romans? Potentially not. But I think especially when it comes to more like the social science, the social studies aspects, modern languages, um, some of our expressive arts even, I think there, there is an argument for a bit more specific knowledge. However, I think along with that, as has been said, we don't know what jobs our children are going to face. Like We can't think what necessarily it's going to look like in another five years for young people that are about to leave school ne- this, in this next academic year. Um, so how we can be thinking at primary level and thinking about my context about what that's going to look like in another 10, 15 years for them as they're then entering a job market. And we, we just don't know what context we're going to be living in, what scenarios we're going to be preparing them for. So I suppose for me, because that's quite waffly, I know, um, I think we need to make sure that they have got the appropriate skills um, but with that, they've got the self-confidence. They've got a global awareness of who they are and how they fit into the world. They've got an awareness, and I suppose this ties into things about thinking about anti-racism and anti-racist teaching um, and how we build our curriculum, but making sure there's a global view to that, that we do take ourselves out of our traditional box of who we are as Scottish. We examine some of the bits that potentially in regards to racism do make us uncomfortable, especially if we are are white. Um, That we look at the systems that don't always give opportunities to everyone. we we look at the discrimination and we look at where people aren't given opportunities. We look at how we develop that so that we break down those barriers and we make sure that our children have a clear understanding that, yes, they are valued, but so is everyone else around them. Um, and that sounds, in some ways, not very educational, but... I think if we are making sure that our children understand their humanity and their shared humanity um, and what that looks like to be valued as themselves, as who they are, and to be able to value others as themselves and who they are, we are going to send them out into the world with not just a set of skills, not just a set of knowledge but a perspective and a grounding um, that will take them 
further because they will have this they will have the attitude to build relationships with everyone they come across. They won't mm-hmm. necessarily like everyone they come across, but they'll be able to respect and value them for what they bring. Um, and I think we're doing lots on that, but we are still seeing where there are, are problems. We can see that in terms of obviously not so much maybe from our children, but definitely we're, we're seeing that. We've seen that recently on social media in terms of um, people posting against um, discussions on anti-racism. We're seeing that in yeah. increase in comments towards LGBTQ. We've seen that in discussion around what the Gender Recognition Act will mean for people. Um, and and the twisting of that rhetoric on what that will mean for school and education. Um, and I just think that's a big part of where we need to be looking at and where we need to be making sure our curriculum builds on our humanity and that the skills we're teaching and the knowledge we're teaching is all centred around that shared humanity. And I hope that made some sort of sense. <laughs> No, I think, you know, absolutely. What you're, you know, what you've talked around about there is that fact of not just the balance of the knowledge and skills, but how that sits within the knowledge, the skills, the values, the attributes that we want to develop in young people, you know, based on this foundation of these, you know, almost global competencies that, you know, we, you know, that we want to um, embody within the curriculum. I think what tends to be you know it's been an interesting discussion so far as part of these podcasts is thinking around about how centralized this understanding of knowledge skills values and attributes needs to be or how close that sits to the individual establishments because you know as you talk there around about you know developing a sense of self but also developing a sense of, you know, respect for for others around them and, and, and wider afield. And I think that, you know, that's something that we've been grappling with in these podcasts as well, is there's not just that balance of, um, you know, what's included in terms of the likes of knowledge, skills, values and attributes, but how how that's being made in terms of, you know, the, the localised decision down to the national decision. So, you know, thinking around about the Stone Age, is it important for the children in um, in your school in Orkney and Anita's school in Edinburgh and mine just outside Inverness to all have that similar knowledge or does it need to be context dependent? So I think, you know, there's some really powerful threads that you've um, that you've teased out there and, and showing that it's it's more important than just one part of the discussion. Yeah, and, and as Anita said, yes, and there you go, put it so eloquently um, in a third of the time. Um. <laughs> Hazel, I loved what you, you said there about, um, you said a curriculum that builds on our humanity and... Mm-hmm. I'm really pleased that throughout the discussions that James and I have been having with our colleagues across Scotland um, in the podcast that actually values and the humanness of us hasn't been lost and everybody has brought up an element that is deeper than just the knowledge v skills Um, or you know changing the curriculum or you know planning time and it, it is it is deeper than that for for everybody for all of 
the stakeholders involved. And I think all of them have, have touched on this real kind of foundation in Scotland that our schools and our education system is built on equality, fairness and respect. And that is definitely what I tried to say in the episode that I that I, I did with, with James, just, just James and me a few weeks ago, but a curriculum that builds on our humanity. I, I love that. Um, yes, I know. And I think lots of the things from that original that original podcast that the pair of you did, uh, I've I've seen those kind of coming out. A lot of those issues, yeah. as you said, it would, you'd never be able to cover any of them in just even one. But you can see those links um, be made. I'm one of those people that tend to sit with a pad of paper when I'm I'm listening to these. So <laughs> I go back over, yeah, um, back over my notes. And then, of course, when you asked me if I take part, I was like, I definitely need to make sure I know what everyone else has been saying as well. Um, Hazel, it's so funny that you say that because just before you joined the call this evening, James, James and I were talking about um, – a friend of James's who was listening to the podcast and told James that they also take notes. And I had no idea that people take notes <laughs> from listening to us just gathering on. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Um, and, and get so much from that. So yes, no, thank you for that. Okay, Hazel, you're, you're back to me for the final question of the podcast. Okay. You spoke a bit about the things that are important to you, maybe a bit of a revision of, knowledge be skills but a more kind of grounded focus on equality fairness and respect definitely coming through so if you could make one change the other the other um the other podcast guests did get two if they needed it so you can have two <laughs> if you want it but mm. if you could change one thing in terms of improving education in Scotland what would it be and why I've kind of got a one and a half because my, my half bit ties in. So um, I think there's loads of things you could go for. And obviously a magic money tree would be absolutely amazing. I think for me, it would be one thing actually from English education system that I actually quite like would be an introduction of lead teachers of specific. I know we kind of have folks that do some specialisms and um, or responsible, maybe looking at numeracy, but I think in England that comes with a quite a clear, a clear lead teacher role. Um, quite often there is a slight difference in salary or in roles and responsibilities. Then there's theoretically, again, I'm knowing that at the moment, um, plenty of people are finding their time and resources stretched on this, but. Theoretically, that should come with a bit of time out of class. It should come with a bit more time to be able to think and do that curriculum development work. And I think a structure like that that gave us specialists, people that have actually been given time within our schools um, to, to know the, the newest research, to have done some of the reading, to have sat and done some of that local context curriculum development that they can then share with their colleagues and yes colleagues can can be involved in maybe they'll be leading uh like a, a working stream working party of teachers who are going to look at a particular aspect of the numeracy framework or whatever else it is but actually be able to direct that 
with a bit more knowledge, not to mean that no one has to, else has to go and do that, but that they can kind of summarise. They can then point to the most useful pieces for different teachers. It would mean that someone could go and go, right, I don't know how I'm going to teach this. I know who I'm going to go to because they'll know what resources are there. They'll know, have an idea, or they'll be able to point me in the right direction. And for me, I think something like that could be really powerful in Scotland because it wouldn't take away from the things that so many of us appreciate about Curriculum for Excellence, which is, again, the ability to make it local, the autonomy to to tailor it. But it would potentially balance out some of those concerns around knowledge rich because a lead teacher could help make sure certain things were hit, um, a certain level was was achieved, certain skills, certain um, points of content were were covered um, without it becoming so centralised and nationalised mm-hmm. that um, it was just the same in every school you walked into. Um, which then my, my half bit from that is alongside that, um, which we we see and we do see in lots of schools in Scotland already, is more training and awareness in classroom practice for supporting children with additional support needs, whether that's because of of trauma, whether that's because of um, diagnosed needs, whether that's because of the fact that they're care experienced, but how that's supported in a mainstream classroom. Um, again, there's been talk in other things, uh, other podcasts around, is that something that then they're, they're taken by support for learning people to go and do something? Or they're actually out of class. And there was a, you were saying about liking a particular thing of mine. One of the things you said, Anita, in that first podcast on of this series was about a child of eight seeing their place in the classroom and feeling like they belong. Mm-hmm. And for me, mm-hmm. I think we, as teachers, we want that. We want all those children to have that feeling of belonging. But for some teachers, they they don't have, they don't have the specialised skills or knowledge on how to support those children, how to manage that alongside managing the rest of class. And actually, sometimes that is impossible. You you just need more bodies in a classroom to make that work. Um, and that's, again, the magic money tree part of it, where we are able to staff our schools better and give the support that's needed in um, across the country. But I think that of being able to give more specialised, consistent specialised support to help train teachers, give teachers a chance to have time out. Is it that someone's able to come in and cover their class so that they can go on a particular course to meet the need, to understand more about a need of a child in their class? Um, is it about that actually there's time out so that they can work with a particular child? So instead of that child being taken out to work with a support for learning assistant or support for learning teacher, that actually the class teacher is able to go out and spend some time either with that child individually or in a small group while someone else is responsible for the rest of the class. And I think that sort of tying into that whole sort of lead specialist teacher, that almost extra level in terms of our, our well, not hierarchy, but our structuring within schools um, is something I think could be, if done correctly, could be a really powerful thing. So that would be my one. 
Um, it's interesting that you mention about the lead teacher there, Hazel, because it was an initiative that was mooted by the Scottish government a while ago. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to mention that bit, but yeah. <laughs> I remember reading, gosh, it must have been last year, I read an article, I think after an EIS publication had said that the lead teacher role would begin from August last year. And I remember the day mm-hmm. after reading that article, reading a an interview with the then general secretary of the, I think it's the Scottish Secondary Teachers Association or Union, excuse, forgive me for, for not knowing exactly, but he had said, I think it was Seamus Searson had said that the original concept and idea of the lead teacher had been watered down so much because of kind of national and local authority mind on budget that actually the role never really took off. James, you laughed mm-hmm. when I said that. Yeah, no, I am. Um, uh, uh, it's part of uh, the Scottish Government's teacher panel and we had these conversations a few years ago and as a group, uh, nationally, you know, talk around about the the real benefit of it, and yeah, absolutely. There's there's um, there's almost a framework for it within the within the system, and I I completely agree with you, Hazel. I think that there, you know, we spend our our school improvement tends to be dominated by the responsibility of all areas of literacy, numeracy, and health and well-being, and does that contribute to the fact that we don't have such knowledge-rich curriculum? in other areas and is there a way of lead teachers which you know depending on you know your school a very large school within your school um within my context would it be more appropriate across a cluster you know to think around mm-hmm. about some of those elements as well and i think that that's a um mm. that's a, a really valuable path to think around about following to address some of the rhetoric that's going on at the moment around about knowledge, skills, values, attributes, but also around about, a, you know, a skilled workforce um, that has the understanding and all of the multitude of areas that we need to be competent in, particularly those in early years in primary with such a span of curriculum that's got to be delivered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then definitely I would agree with you, Hazel, on your half point there about teacher expertise and teacher professional development around supporting our children who need a little bit more support in the classroom or even those children who need um, a significant amount of support in the classroom. I think that there appears to be from colleagues that I speak to a general trend across the country of children who need support to access the curriculum, having that support given by a support for learning teacher or a pupil support assistant or outside specialists, when actually I think that we need to be, we need to be thinking a bit smarter with budgets and money and actually we need to be training teachers to to offer universal supports in the first instance and for that always to be the case. Um, and I do know that um, in other other cases, there there are children in groups who need some more targeted support or even specialist support. And obviously, it, it's it's the the system's job to provide that. But I do think that having skilled teachers, confident, competent, and capable 
of supporting all their learners in the classroom is the ideal situation. Um, but it, t- it takes training, it takes time, it takes planning, it takes money and it takes, I keep banging on about it, supportive school leaders to support teachers to undertake that really challenging work of, of supporting everybody and making everybody feel like they belong. Um, but to really, those were, that wasn't one and a half, Hazel, that was two, but they were two, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> two really important, um, important changes. Definitely. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us with this this evening, Hazel. It was great. You know, we've had conversations as Lenisa said through the through the book groups, but it was it was good to have that have that one on one conversation where we could really um tease out some of the thoughts that um you've got and uh, as as Anita had mentioned as well as you, as you share regularly on Twitter. Before we round up uh, the podcast just now, are you happy to share your Twitter handle for those of our listeners that haven't stumbled upon your Twitter page as of yet? Uh, those lucky few. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am I am wonderfully straightforward and easy enough to find. It's at Hazel H E Z E L M. Pinner, P-I-N-N-E-R. That's brilliant. Thank you, Hazel. And we will link your uh, Twitter handle to the podcast when it is released. So those folks that have um, access to podcasts via Twitter this week, um, you'll be able to click on Hazel's Twitter and uh, see all the wonderful things that she's up to and all the musings that she shares. So until our next episode, where we'll speak with another uh, practitioner around about the national discussion and um, we'll bid you farewell and and speak to you then it was lovely to be back and see you next time Anita bye James love you love you bye